1: W-H-U-P-L-P-Hillsborough, the center of the known world. This is the Cage Cast, your source for the fighting arts in the Carolinas and beyond. I am Jeff Shaw. Ladies and gentlemen, folks, gender nonconforming individuals, everyone is welcome on the Concussion Cast, including, or should especially, Trevor Hayes. How are you doing today, Trevor? What
2: did you just call yourself?
1: Uh... So let it help if I turn Trevor's mic on. What, what did, I,
2: did you just call yourself? Was, I, that, was that the most vegan thing ever? It was, mouth?
1: It was 0.75 vegan was uh, 0. on 0. a scale 5, of one to vegan. It was point seven. No, no. We're, we go over 9,000 only on uh, April 1st, the vegan holiday. Really? That's In, a thing. <laughs> it's absolutely a thing. Uh, oh, so, man. So, <laughs> no. So we're coming, we're, we're coming. I may have just made that up or created a holiday. Either way, <laughs> it works. Did. It works. <laughs> So we're coming to you live on 104.7 FM, as always, we're streaming live on whupfm.org, so we're grateful to every one of you out there who is stealing your neighbor's Wi-Fi to listen in to the untold stories of martial arts in North Carolina and beyond. We're super excited to have Roy Marsh in studio with us. Roy is one of my favorite instructors, and we'll give a full bio in a second, but for for now, Roy, say hi to the people. Hi, people. We're going to get to Roy's featured interview in about 10 minutes, but before that, we're going to summarize some martial arts news for the weekend, and if Roy feels the need to weigh in with me and Trevor, he's absolutely welcome. If we missed anything in this list, let us know. Uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram at CagesideWhoop, CagesideWHUP. You can also shout us out using that hashtag, CagesideWHUP. Get at us via email, whoop at gmail.com, or on Facebook, which is Cageside Radio. All of this information on our show page at WHUPFM.org, too. So one of the first things I wanted to talk about, Trevor, is uh, the Nogi worlds. Uh, the Nogi world jiu-jitsu championships. We had one local competitor compete yesterday, do awesome. Another one competing today. Kim Rice uh, won silver medal at the Nogi world championships at Which purple belt. Awesome, yeah. She did
2: great mm-hmm. earlier this year too, man. She's been on a roll at purple belt. It's great to see her
1: really coming her own as a purple belt now. I mean, mm-hmm. we all saw what she did at the blue belt. Yeah, Kim won the worlds in the gi at the blue belt level. And she's been really working hard. Nobody trains harder than Kim. And right. so, so I watched her matches. And uh, Kim, so Kim won her first two matches by submission, guillotined a lady, uh, ended up in the finals, uh, beat a lady who'd flown, uh, flown in from uh, from England to compete, um, uh, beat her with an Americana from Mount, so submitted As her first she two should opponents. if she's from England. <laughs> it, was fun- <laughs> it was funny, too, because they they yeah they, they called the girl for, like, 45 minutes. Like, the girl didn't show up she was 45 minutes late for the match. Usually, you get disqualified, like, instantly. Like, they look for any excuse, but because she had flown in all the way... You know, and then she she got dominated by Kim Rice because I which e-
2: England time was on time. Uh, always like, we we slacked, and Brazilian time is way off.
1: And pip pip, hello, Governor. Also, exactly. cheers,
0: yeah. Roy. You just got back from England. Say something in British. Uh, Ross, you need to address this friend of mine in England. Uh, of course when i was with him we also tended to show up at class late so maybe it is an english thing we don't know about yeah, it's island time you see here's the thing brit, the,
1: brit- br- the british are like you know prompt because of the old imperial power thing but it's also an island and so island time typically runs slower so i'm not sure oh, so maybe
2: i see what you did there yeah it's possible
1: yeah. i don't know uh if you're english uh, shout us out and let us know what's up I-, I also want to mention so kim got a silver medal that's Fantastic, Amazing, excellent performance. Yeah. She lost in the finals to Tara White, who's not standing competitor, who got an invite to the Abu Dhabi Combat Club Championships last year. Kim has actually beaten Tara before, and I believe can beat Tara again, but it was a terrific match between two awesome competitors in the finals. Um, Jason Mask, who is another Triangle Jiu-Jitsu 4 type blue belt, Kim's husband, and a very, very uh, accomplished competitor in his own right, is going to go today at 5 o'clock, so we're going to post updates um, when masks match goes on the cage side, uh, on the cage side Facebook or the cage side radio Facebook page.
2: He's one of those guys. He was like competing at Worlds as a white belt, I yeah. think. Right? Yeah, he, Kim. He's just yeah. He kind of just he was like, you know what? I see what Kim's doing. I'm gonna do it. And
1: Me then. and Mask actually competed like our first Worlds was the same year, and we both got bronze medals. And so uh, yeah, so that was that was very it, it's cool. I mean, Mask and I have done Jiu Jitsu about the same amount of time, so it's really been awesome to watch him succeed as a competitor as well. So, on a, on a different note, so that, that's exciting. We'll keep you updated on how our local Nogi Worlds folks are doing. On a different note, and this is something Roy was involved with as well, uh, the Pendergrass Foundation Rollathon was yesterday, 12 hours uh, of rolling and mini seminars from local black belts uh, for a good cause, raised about $3,500, a little over $3,500 for cancer research. And so I was there rolling and Roy was there teaching and also beating me up. Uh, Roy, do you want to say a little bit about what you taught? Or like, uh, we'll talk about your charity work in, in, when we get into the featured interview, but if you want to have to say something about the Pendergrass Grass Rollathon,
0: Yeah, um, one, it was, uh, it was, we'll talk about this, of course, a little bit later, but um, I think it was great because, one, a bunch of different people from different schools came together. There was no in, sort of interschool rivalry, as it is one of the best things about North Carolina. And of course, uh, the Pentagrasses have been doing this uh, really good cause for a long time. So, um, you know, we were really happy to contribute. A um, lot of good rolling, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> very tired. A um, lot of good instruction, I, I can tell you. I'm, I'm really going to rip off a few of the things that uh, I, I was watching on seminars. <laughs> that's one class. That's another class. Good <laughs> artist. another class. So, good um, good uh, artist borrow, Roy. Yeah, Great uh, artist I'll, steal. <laughs> I'll tell you, that's honestly what a lot of instructors do. When we're visiting another academy, it's not because... We're there to see our friends, but honestly, we're Cause there cause to, rip we need to the refresh own. <laughs> <plan. laughs> yeah.
2: right, okay. Hmm. Thanks for the class so. I can break this down into a week. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Here we go.
1: <laughs> Roy's already dropping gems of, of martial arts knowledge, but we'll, stay tuned for Roy's feature interview in about ten minutes. And we'll get right back into that. One thing I want to make sure we spend a lot of time on uh, that happened yesterday as well. And if you hear my voice sounding a little little, little jagged, it's because I was in uh, Richmond, Virginia, watching Odyssey fights. Uh, with Duan Owens, last week's guest was the main event. It was a really important. important. Important and big fight for Dewan. Trevor watched on the live stream. So, we're going to break down this fight in a second. Let me just give the people the basics for what happened. So, Dewan won in the third round by head and arm choke from the top of half guard. That's a submission, making uh, Dewan has now won. The reason this was such an important win for Dewan is for one thing, he's now on a three fight winning streak with three finishes. So um, he is
0: now a submission expert.
1: Yeah, Dewan yeah. Owens, mm-hmm. submission specialist. Submission yeah. Specialist. See, as as, as Jay Quitfield once told Dewan, it's okay to submit guys too. <laughs> yeah. And it's nice to see him finally take that to heart. Uh, but yeah, but so Dewan is on a three fight win streak now, three finishes by submission, which is very exciting, and the UFC matchmaker Joe Silva was in the crowd. So hopefully that heralds big things uh for for, for Dewan. Let's break down the fight now. And Trevor, I know you watched it, mm-hmm. and as a kickboxer, as a wrestling background, what, what are some of the things that struck you about the fight? Um, DeWan is a good friend of mine,
2: so he'll probably beat me up in a couple weeks <laughs> for this, but I'll take it. Um, it's all right. Um, one thing you don't do with someone that has a good wrestling background is try to fire off a lot of kicks. I mean, kicks to the lead, leg, okay to interrupt rhythm and mess the range a little bit, but you usually want to keep them at bay with hands, move beyond the outside of the takedowns, and Dewan came flying in like a terrifying individual with these giant sidekicks. And that was really, he was finishing those kicks on the inside of the guy. You know, he was inside the guy's punch range, which means, hey, that's his takedown range. The guy was grabbing DeJuan, putting him in the cage, taking him down pretty easily. DeJuan did a great job of getting the butterfly hooks and staying busy off his back. But, man, you don't come in and just do giant sidekicks on a wrestler. Mm -hmm. And then you see later on, like towards the end of the second round, Started to put his hands out there or throw them things. Mm-hmm. As uh, was that you that, that, you was, me. that? Yeah, that, that was, was me. Yeah. That was me. Um and you see the guy, he didn't have any range for takedowns. Once again, then Dewan threw sidekick, boom, takedown. Yeah. Uh, DeWan's kicks did do him some good in the third round. It started to wear he hit the some good body kicks. And then you see the guy was just out of the fight after mm-hmm. that. He Dewan wore on him a little bit, but yeah, those it was really frustrating. We were there. Uh, it was my friend Jeff Loken. Our friend Eric Shelton, who's a blue belt from Triangle, was there. A couple other guys that have trained with Dewan, and we're going. Oh my gosh, he just keeps. It's like the kid that can't stop sticking a fork in a light socket with those side kicks. <laughs> I
0: mean, Do you feel like that's kind of a catch twenty two though of modern MMA, where you have to put on the show, and Dewan knows yeah. he's out there to put on a show. It, so the flying yeah. kick is one of the most but exciting, it, but it does leave yeah. You completely but you think that maybe after now.
2: the first time, it's like uh, maybe I should think of something else. Where you see mm. when Dewan let his hands go. Mm-hmm. Everything just boom, good hooks, good uppercuts, right back to home, clean, 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 clean. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like that. Mm-hmm. That clean striking, it frustrated the guy. Dewan could have done a lot more damage there, I think. But then he kept going back to sidekick, closing the range too close, and
0: then boom, mm-hmm. setting himself for the takedown. you so also think, I'm sorry, to but do you also ahead, think Roy. that maybe it's, I mean, DeJuan's jiu-jitsu is very good. So it is. do you think it, it he was maybe. Not that worried about being taken down.
2: I, and I've heard that is pretty common. Um, you know, strikers, once they get really good jujitsu, they get really confident in their stand up. Right. You know, however, uh, Dewan's biggest hole, as we've all known, is like his wrestling sometimes isn't there. And you see that this guy had a. Really- good, heavy game, which you'd think that after like the first couple times he felt that, he might not want to be putting himself. Because he he had great butterflies, man. He had a good sweep, but then all of a sudden the guy still reversed it. Um, DeJuan hip-tossed him, I remember, in the second round, and the guy still reversed it, just off of wrestling prowess. And you would think that he might not try to keep going back to that. He just wanted to keep... He should keep that range and pop, 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 pop. But, I mean... I can't say too much. DeJuan's had just light, just so many more fights. He's got a lot of experience in there, so I can't. I still love the guy. I respect him, but it was like, oh, that was a fork in the light socket a couple times kind of thing he had going on. So
1: I'm of two minds about this. And, like, I think Roy makes a good point about the entertainment value because that's always in DeJuan's head. So it was frustrating watching the first couple of rounds uh, because DeJuan did get taken down a bunch. And I think what had happened was I think DeJuan didn't necessarily know his opponent myron baker how good his wrestling top control might be because the one's very good at standing back up yes. and all that such but like uh, you know myron trains at team conquest which is really good school with good jujitsu and good wrestling and i think that surprised DeWan a little bit so that was frustrating And if anybody wants to hear me being frustrated and hear why my voice is like this go to our facebook page and you can see the periscope <laughs> replay of me freaking out and yelling um not that that's super entertaining for anybody but the second thing and this is sort of the positive uh spin on what trevor just said I think Myron Baker was a tr- a bad matchup for Dewan, and two years ago Dewan would have lost this fight. Yes, I think. yes. And and so that for me shows that Dewan growing as a martial artist mm-hmm. and being like, oh wow, this is because exactly the worst matchup for Dewan is big, strong wrestler with suffocating top control who isn't trying to hurt you, who really isn't trying to generate any offense. But yeah, he's the just guy really landed like he threw
2: he, that guy threw maybe ten punches. Maybe. if that through the entire fight. Yeah, and yeah Dewan for sure. was really active.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But and so Dewan, like,
2: if you listen to the interview we had last week with Dewan, Dewan called it as to what happened he knew that he would outwork my uh myron that myron, my, baker, myron yeah. baker okay i was about to say byron Baker. Uh, <laughs> oh, golly
0: that, that um, should be his, but no, his rumbler but dewan
2: made a very good call and it worked out for him that mm-hmm. he was going to stay in there stay active and you see that like if anyone's been in a situation of having someone really active underneath them it's exhausting too oh, it's yeah. hard to keep your energy going and, and, you know, Dewan did wear on him. And you see the guy obviously going to that third round. His head is down. His hands are up on the guy's shoulder. And that's when Dewan knew he kind of felt the fight was really going his way. And if anyone knows Dewan, that dude does not get tired. Not really. at all. He just keeps going. And he called it as he said that he would break Myron. Yeah. And that's what happened going in the third round. I think maybe that's why Dewan kept throwing those kicks. He knew it messed the guy a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, But it's still real. That's still so risky no, to I'd, have I'd, people in the crowd like that for it to be. You know, you don't want to lose your, your win streak. It was still just so risky and hard to watch.
1: I mean, I think that's a very astute analysis, and I want to break down the finish of the fight because Trevor do Don't
2: say anything I ever say is smart. <laughs> <laughs> don't um, ever say that. I didn't
1: say smart. I said astute. It doesn't mean the same oh, thing. Well, uh, there we go. <laughs> I, have, I have a thesaurus, or maybe I am a thesaurus. You are. At any rate, like so So let me break down the finish of the fight because it's unclear from the video that, that we posted, and it relates to what Trevor said. So Dewan was wearing on his opponent with body shots, body kicks, with his relentless pace. And so Dewan uh, sweeps, ends up in the mount, and Myron is trying to recover half guard, which is, you know, for those of you that don't do jitsu the mount is where you're basically in the schoolyard bully beatdown position with your knees past the guy's hips. And Myron's like, well, I gotta get one of Dewan's legs back between my legs to defend myself. And because maybe because Myron is tired, or maybe because Dewan, uh, uh, the, maybe because Dewan uh, is a um, a beast who is wearing him out. Myron didn't pay attention to where his arm was, and Dewan set up that head and arm choke. So Myron was able to recover half guard, but Dewan caught the choke. And once DeWan gets his head, hands around your neck, it's kind of a wrap. So uh, let's, let's close up this segment reviewing DeWan's fight. You can watch it on our, our Facebook page, Kate Side Radio, um, if you want. Like, the upshot is, you know, as frustrating as it was to watch DeWan get taken down.
2: It's still great. We were all super, super yeah. happy that he won. We were so glad to see that.
1: Yeah, and, like, and, it was, it was, and this is a big win for him, and I think it heralds a really big things because three-fight win streak, three finishes in a row in front of ufc matchmaker joe silva so hopefully dewan gets a, a phone call that'll make him and us very happy um so to, to close out our new segment trevor and i know wanted to talk about a non-local mma fight which was between two legends of the game and uh, yeah maybe everyone
2: can- was interested in the uh henderson Belfort rubber match where it's the third fight between the two you know henderson showed up looking like he was in good shape vitor showed up still looking like a bag of soggy oranges uh, after the TRT debacle, and I really thought that you know, he would you know pull something out and win this with Vitor off the TRT. other people saying, oh, he's gonna come out and blitz Henderson, and that's exactly what happened. Henderson came out. Uh, if you ever watch Henderson fight, he hasn't changed the way he stands in, I want to say, twenty years of fighting <laughs> where he has a very wide stance. His right hand is tucked, his right head is really almost dips below a normal shoulder line and uh, he came out in front of the southpaw, uh, Vitor Belfort, and uh, he uh, put his head right into the line for a head kick, and then Vitor is on him like white on rice, and that kind of was heartbreaking for every uh, true American out there.
1: As well as every old guy, because they're 45 years old, and my gosh, do I love seeing dudes in their 40s win fights.
2: Yeah, (laughs) yes, yes. Um, Also, we are hearing that we might have some issues on the air, so if you need to... Go to WUPFM.org, that is W-H-U-P-F-M.org, for the live
1: stream on the main page, yeah, and if you m-
2: cannot hear us on one hundred four point seven in the RDU area,
1: yeah, you know, and uh, like the the one hundred four point seven is very local, so if you're in Hillsborough, you can probably hear us on one hundred four point seven. Yeah, if, I picked it up in Cary.
2: Right yeah, at some random spot, and so I, I can
1: right get there. it in Durham, but like, but like, you know, for, for for the record, like, if you're ever having a tough time picking up the signal on one hundred four point seven, just go to whupfm org. It's streaming from the main page. If you want to hear the replay, which I'm sure you will, and we'll get to the Roy Marsh interview in just a second. If you want to hear the replay, then always go to our show page the cage side concussion cast at whupfm.org just want to mention a couple more things for news we're just gonna we want to get right to roy's interview so we have plenty of time to spend with him I do want to mention U.S. Grappling Greensboro is next weekend, November 14th, so register for that if you all want to compete in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I also mentioned that there is a Fredson Paisao seminar December 5th in Jacksonville, North Carolina, at the Killer Bee Training Center. Fredson is a, a legend to train with, black belt under Osvaldo Alves, uh, one of the only guys, maybe one of only two guys, who skipped a brown belt, went straight from purple belt to black belt. If you do jiu-jitsu, you know how often that happens. And uh, and four-time Moondale champion, I believe. So it's at Killer Bee Training Center December 5th. Um, we'll post something about that to the, the Facebook page in a bit. You know, one of Fredson Pyshaw's favorite techniques, can anyone tell me one of Fredson Pyshaw's favorite techniques? That uh, would be the wrist lock. That would be the wrist lock. And you know who else likes wrist locks? Mr. Roy Marsh. We'll be back in 15 seconds with a featured interview of Mr. Roy
0: This is Dewan Dirty South Owens, and you listen to the K-Side Concussion Tabs.
1: So we've had Roy with us for the first segment. Thanks for commenting on the news of the day, Roy. But we want to talk specifically about you and your own martial arts journey to uh, you know to your current status and i want to give a little bio on you which is roy's a black belt under hoist gracie one of the very few tested black belts and uh w- when we'll talk a- about roy's black belt test during the course of the interview he's also the owner of team hoist gracie southern pines a successful school and is one of the most sought after instructors around for both seminars and private lessons he just got back from a seminar tour of europe we're doing seminars and private lessons which is his second such tour on a personal note roy's uh, other than my own instructor seth champ who is obviously the person who's taught me the most about jiu roy is one one of two two guys that have taught me personally the most about jiu-jitsu. So he's one of my favorite guys to learn from. And it's always a pleasure to have Roy Marsh.
0: Hey, thanks, guys.
1: Yeah, uh, wow, that kind of came out radio. Sounded you weird. sounded so NPR. <laughs> We're gonna have to. <laughs> you need to walk out that door, come back, come back, in, back in. You're in, sounding like a man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll <laughs> give you a steak, and then you can talk. <laughs> yeah. Roy, Roy's doing his best Ira Glass voice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's no professionalism. Again. Yeah, right. Exactly. Professional. You'll get my Birkenstocks. Come back. Oh, I'm no. a big fan of it. You can borrow mine. Birkenstocks aren't vegan, though. They're leather. So <laughs> <laughs> you can't wear leather. I can't wear leather. What am I? Oh I getting? I can't kill an animal. If I'm not, get, if I'm gonna kill an animal for meat, my my shoes are made of hemp. That's not even. That's not. I'm not even making that up. Look at that. Wow. Hemp that. shoes. Look at that. What do you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll we'll be periscoping my hemp shoes later. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Just empowered. I know, right? All right, guys. We've we we i have reached peak, peak hippie. Let' rating us back in. <laughs> let's talk. Let, so let's talk to Roy a little bit about your background. Um. So how did you get your start in martial
0: arts, and how did you get your start in crazy jiu-jitsu? Okay. Um, well, I think like I mean, any any kid, any kid of my age, and certainly okay. any older, you know saturdays kung fu theater right oh, yeah. uh you know uh, the old kung fu tv series any of those sorts of things really uh i was like any nerd kid i really liked martial arts uh, and so i uh, studied you know of course you know, got the yellow belt in taekwondo um it, did you open a school shortly after that uh <laughs> 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 i did um and, you know, studied different things, uh, did Kung Fu for a long time, and then uh, in college I actually uh, was going to the Judo Club at NC State, and uh, really had a good time with that. And then um, I remember the part I liked from that most with the, the, the Nuwaza, and uh, I had a friend of mine, uh, Joey Smith, the hat that some of you guys know about, and he was actually, he had started training with uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu before me uh, with Team Rock, and he said, man, you got to come out, check this place out, come on, and he said... Uh, you know, they just started a day class. This is back when Team Rock was out here in Hillsborough. And there weren't 50,000 Team Rocks. And it was, uh, you know, way yeah. <laughs> back in the day. This is 2001, early 2001. And uh, so I go out to the noon class, and it's just me, the hat, and Spencer. Can And And uh, my first class was, Spencer goes, come here. Pulls my head down and goes, this is a guillotine. Let's roll. And then for two hours, just beats my butt. <laughs> and then, uh, so... Uh, uh, the, cause that's how Team Rock was back in the day, you know, and I was like, okay, I love this, sign up. And it was kind of all downhill or uphill from there, depending on how you look at it. And, uh, you know, cause at, then at that time I was like, well, you know, I want to do more of the grappling and thinking that at that time, of course that jujitsu was just grappling. Um, and you know, so I, I'd studied other things along the way, Aikido and some Muay Thai with Scott Francis, mm-hmm. uh, way back when Scott Francis was teaching out of a YMCA, um, and uh, then once I got into jiu-jitsu, I just kind of fell in love with it. And uh, you know, then, of course, I got stuck with Team Rock and all the weirdos there and became a weirdo with them. <laughs> so
2: It's a very unique uh, <laughs> family to be a part of.
0: Yes.
1: Well, let's talk about some of the early Team Rock characters. I know that you trained with uh, a legend of, of women's MMA, Tara LaRosa. Right. And, do you have any, and, and also Greg Thompson, who, is, who we'd love to have on the show at some point. But do you have any
0: old stories about either of those folks? Oh, God. Uh, there's a ton of stories because uh, – yeah, back then it was a. Um, it's a little bit different than it is now, and uh, and not trying to do the back in my day kind of stuff. But um, <laughs> but uh, back in my we'll day. get yeah, you know back later. in my day. <laughs> um, it was it was just kind of almost a fight room. You know, you came in if you couldn't hang. Well, that's that's nice. Go go back to the taekwondo school down the street. Um, and so I remember when I started, I was actually I'd just been lifting for a few years. I actually gotten into powerlifting. I was a pretty big guy. I remember in fact Spencer. Told me one time after rolling, you know, you're really strong. And I thought that was a compliment. And I realized later he was actually insulting me that I had no technique. I was just using strength. <laughs> but um, I, uh, I remember one, very early class, probably my second or third class, rolling with Tara LaRosa, you know, 125 pounds, and she just beats me down. And I remember, okay, so now I'm going to do the We've all dealt with it, the, the UG uh, guy. You know, now I'm gonna sling her around a little bit and show her what's up. That didn't work. Didn't happen at all. No, um, and it got worse for me. And I, I, I didn't have a big long moment, but I remember going out to my car, sitting in my car, and going, maybe I'll just drive home and pretend this never happened and quit and not come back. <laughs> if you're ever uh, in
2: combat sports for more than like a couple of years, you will have that moment, right? and it is life changing.
0: Yeah, you have to realize that you're just all your little uh, fantasies in your head you have. Of you know the what is that onion article right man four thousand times oh, less effective in real they, f- they than he thinks it. It. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I had that moment and uh, so it was uh and but luckily the moment only lasted a brief time and I was like no I need to learn her magic
1: <laughs> and so
0: I, I came back and um, she continued to still beat me down but it was a uh, you know it was really good it was also really good for me early on to. See that you know women should be a part of this, and to see just actually not to take her for granted. Like oh, she beat me because I was going easy. No, she just flat out beat me. And now of course we've got you know girls like Shayla and Mary Holmes and Kim Sarah Rice and all these who you know they're kind of somewhat even enforcers at schools where you you have the guy come in like me and you're like oh let's put Shayla on the guy and you know and we could all sit back and giggle and pull out our cell phones and watch the action. yeah, this is one of the things that I love
1: about jiu-jitsu, which is that it is more about uh, the technique. And, like, right. so I'm curious, like, let's set a framework for some of the conversations. Like, what is jiu-jitsu to you? The philosophy of jiu-jitsu. When, when I say what is
0: jiu-jitsu, how do you explain it to me? Um, so, from there's, there's different ways. There's a philosophical way, and then there's a technical way. I'll cover the technical way for now. Um, I, I tell everybody, because I think people misunderstand this. Uh, I have kind of a line. I say jiu-jitsu is an art of control. It's not a submission art, people think it's two guys grappling and trying to submit each other, it's not. You can strike in jiu-jitsu, you can do all these things. If I can't control you, I can't do anything. So jiu-jitsu is predicated on their ability to control or our ability to refuse control, just same as a Thai clinch or any of these sorts of things. And so control allows predictability. Right, that's why it's a very good self-defense art. If there's you and me standing in front of each other outside in the parking lot, swinging wildly at each other, it's there's definitely going to be skill differences. But a lot of times, there's just a huge luck factor as well. World star hip hop, right? uh, Exactly. (laughs) But the more contact I have with you, so control comes through connection. Connection gets predictability. So the more connection I have to you, I can grab you. I can stop you punching me. I can actually hold you. I can stop you escaping. I can, you know. Then of course. Want I say control you? I can physically submit or strike or whatever I need to do, depending on the scenario. Um, so for me, that's what the art is. It's it's and if, you know, of course you've rolled with me. You understand that that's really a big part of what my game is is controlling uh, me, my or my friends. <laughs> Sometimes the same, right? Um, so that, to me, that's that's kind of where my my difference in the way I teach and the way I view jujitsu from some guys who you know it's it's two guys with spats like throwing up crazy submissions at each other back and forth and it looks kind of like you know two you know wild oscillates going after each other. During the next segment, I watch a lot of Archer. <laughs> <laughs> babu babu.
1: <laughs> well, well, during during the next segment of the interview, you know, I, I want to talk to you about the proper place of competition and like how an art for entertainment is different than an art for self defense. Right. But for now, I want to continue talking a little bit more about your personal journey and your journey mm-hmm. to black belt. And so you got your black belt um, in a ceremony down at the Valencia Brothers Academy in Miami. Right. Um, and like, and obviously that was the culmination of a long journey for you. <laughs> Very long. Yeah. Yeah. How long did it take
0: you to get your black belt? Um, thirteen years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, definitely not one of these six or seven year black belts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Hoist guys definitely. I saw a meme one time that uh, said, How can you tell a Hoist black belt? You know, it's like he's old. <laughs> it's because like, it takes us a really long time. But it's, again, because I think, you know, we'll get into this a little bit because Hoist actually needs you to do more than just know a small part of the Gracie Jiu Jitsu system. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's 13 years, 2001. And then I guess, yeah. Yeah. So, so-
1: and so like so for those of you that don't know, like so at most academies, uh, you know your instructor hands you a belt and that's mm-hmm. you know everybody has sort of a different tradition. But recently, and the Valencia brothers have done this for a long time, but the, uh, the Hoist network are doing this and they're making a documentary about this, I think, this mm-hmm. test right. where you go into a room with 30 or 40 black belts and things happen in there that, are not allowed to be discussed outside of there. Right. So I know you can't talk about the specifics. No, I'll tell you everything. Just kidding. Just kidding, Pedro. I can hear uh, yeah, a <laughs> yeah. getting on a plane right now to come <laughs> find me. Oh, uh, well, yeah, you know, everyone knows it's totally healthy to have hoist mad at you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I know you can't talk about the specifics of what occurs. Like, for, just to give the listeners some background, the Valente brothers, uh, who studied directly under Elio Gracie, mm-hmm. who, who invented Gracie Jiu Jitsu, um, the, the they have an academy down in Miami mm-hmm. and every year in December there's a gathering down there where there's black belt testing mm-hmm. and I know you can't talk about the specifics of the test but maybe you can tell us what going through that test meant to you right. like how it
0: you know how it changed you whatever you can tell us um, so we'll get the background like you said uh, you know got my blue belt from Hoist so I got my uh, purple belt and brown belt actually from Rodrigo Gracie but he is with Hoist so it's not like I've jumped to another organization or anything they're together and actually and uh, actually um, those mean a lot to me because I'm actually pretty uh, – I, I have a ton of respect and, and uh, with Rodrigo as well. Um, but the black belt, te- those were tests more like you would normally encounter in a school, right? You go – he shows up. He says, hey, man, you go with that guy. And then watches you guys try to kill each other and, you know, talks to your instructor. Then, you know – actually, Rodrigo paired me up with uh, – I remember from my purple belt. Do you remember Aki? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think Aki at the time was a brown belt, and I was just a uh, blue belt, and we had, like, a death match for, like— and it was no geese, so it was mm-hmm. death match for, like, 15 minutes. And I remember looking up, and Hodrigan just had this big grin on his face, just like, yes, kill each other, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but uh, those—the lower belts were like that, but the black belt, uh, I think Hoist, you know, wants it to be more, to know—he's to know, very— um, Focused on you representing his father's art, the complete art, and representing his family versus, you know, you grapple well. Right. So that, that's something that's really integral. Like, if you're going to do this test, Hoyce doesn't care if you can compete well. You better be able to fight and defend yourself. And that's what this test is about. Um, and also represent, you know, his family's mindset. Mm-hmm. And so the test is extensive in the sense that it's going to test you mentally, emotionally, your knowledge, both of the history and the just technical knowledge and everything. And honestly, like, you know, whether you back up your, whether, okay, so back up for just a second. Some, I've recently started telling my students, there are people who do jujitsu, then there are people who believe in jujitsu, and that's not always the same. There are people who do it but when they get under pressure, they, you can see they don't actually believe in the art anymore. They they kind of panic and they start, you know, muscling. They start going crazy. They don't have the faith. And so I think this test is intended to see, do you have the faith in even worst case, in all the worst case scenarios? Um, so to me, I really, it meant more going through that than like, hey, you know, you won the pans again. Here's a here's your black belt. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really never wanted it on a podium. I've been on podiums, plenty, but I never wanted a belt on a podium because it's kind of like you're saying, you know, you're good at this one aspect of the art, Mm -hmm. right? And so let's give you a belt that represents the whole art when you're only showed that you're good at one aspect of it. Um, You know, plus to get a black belt for me is, is, you know, your responsibility now is spreading the art and becoming a good instructor. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still being, you know, Fighter or whatever, but really at that point, you know, do you have the the ethical part? Do you have the technical part to spread the art? Not because you know we've met, we've all met black belt instructors or black belt instructors who are not good instructors. We've also all met blue belt instructors who are phenomenal instructors. Right, so um, that goes across every martial art, really. Well,
2: every combat, like when I say combat, you have like the wrestlers, the Muay Thai guys, stuff like that. You'll see guys that were amazing world champions, but they can't coach to save their life because they had that it factor where they got good really quick right. and they skipped a lot of that blood sweat they, they still have their blood sweat tears but then you have like the average joe's journey to being a good fighter right you know the athlete's guide to being a good fighter where it's a massive difference we're like the average joe later down the road right. can make a living teaching and right. where the super athlete is like well, so I, I sort of just, did, just this did this, and, and yeah, I've um, had it, you know, had like, hey, yeah, do it.
0: I remember so. talking to a very good wrestler. Uh, was <laughs> same thing. I was asking him to show me some stuff, and he's like, "I oh, don't know, man. Sometimes I'll do this and shoot into this, and switch to this, and like, whoa, whoa, whoa." I remember mm. then going to Jason Gore. Uh, uh well, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a you know, and he'll tell you, "I'm not an athlete," and he broke it down for me. Step one, step two, step three. I was like, "Okay, yeah, I he, can understand he this." He did the
2: national level of wrestling through like, but, a very hard work ethic, and that's yes. why he can go back and break stuff down.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that hints on an important distinction I wanted to ask you about, you know, because Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is a complete martial art, and you have black belts in other martial arts as well, which mm-hmm. we'll get into later, but do you consider yourself more of a practitioner? Do you consider yourself more of a teacher, or is that a
0: distinction that is not meaningful for you? I think it is meaningful. Um, I don't think it's a binary thing, um, but these days I probably think of myself more as an instructor. I think if you own a school, it's your responsibility to think of yourself more as an instructor. Um, and i actually di- differentiate even between instructor and teacher right i think instructor you just teach in techniques and teacher you need to run a class and you need to you know have an impact on people not not to get too philosophical or you know too um, crazy about it but you know you want to positively impact people um, but i do think that uh, it's it's why it's changed the way i teach and what my focus is in teaching but um, i mean i still practice I, I still you know train as much as i can but I'm not going to come to class and like set guys over in the corner doing drills, so I can go over and roll with my buddies and drill. And then I ignore these guys messing up over here. You know, I, I I'm these days I kind of think of myself more as a teacher because teacher isn't just a byproduct of being a practitioner. Teacher is a whole different skill set. And if you don't practice that part just as much as you practice your your techniques, you're going to be poor at it. You can be a black belt practitioner and a white belt instructor because you just haven't drilled quote unquote those techniques either those abilities you haven't built those abilities
1: and that's a great way to close out our first segment with Roy Marsh hang with us for the next 15 to 30 seconds as we play this bumper from one of Roy's school from some of Roy's schools in the next segment we'll get into more about what it means to be an instructor Roy's experience teaching the US military and Roy's recent seminar Tour of Europe uh, which uh, which will hit on a lot of the themes uh, this is WHUP uh, Hillsborough, North Carolina, 104.7, streaming live on whupfm.org. This is Team Moist Gracie Southern Pines, and you are listening to the Canary Side All right, we're back with Roy Marsh. We're going to well, let you in the vein of teaching now. Roy, you do a lot of work with members of the military. And uh, how did you get that? And uh, I, I also want to ask you how it, if it
0: differs from teaching civilians or if it's basically the same principles but variations on a different theme. Um, so how I got into that, so Greg Thompson, who was the founder of Team Rock and the first person I started under, um, you know, and, uh, one of Hoyce's first black belts. I think he's the first black belt under Hoyce. Um, he is extremely tied into the U.S. military. Uh, in fact, uh, he created SOCP, which is the Special Forces Combatants Program. So if you're in any sort of special operations in the U.S. Army, you go through his program. Uh, we have, you know, we deal with a lot with the JSOC, soc all those guys. Um, and so I have a lot of, a lot of my students, because I'm right next to Fort Bragg, um, a lot of my students are military. And, um, and then a few years ago, uh, Jeff Yurk, who was at the time running the 82nd Combatants Program, uh, asked me if I wanted to come in for a night to teach. Uh, so I went over there and. and I, I <laughs> Now you
2: gave me a look, then I gave you a look, then you gave me a look, then, then Roy there, looked at me. Then I'm
0: going to give you a look. And then there was a look inception between the three of us. Sorry, Roy, continue. <laughs> it all started with Jeff, I would like to say that. Um, so, uh, and I had a really good time with that, and because, you know, uh, Jeff here could come out to my class a few times, we talked, and then. Um, a little while later, um, I'm talking to uh, Jesse Herzog, who, if you guys don't know, is one of the, most, one of the greatest uh, yeah, people human on, the on the planet. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always say about uh, Jesse that if you don't like Jesse, there's something wrong with you, not him. Yes. Um, but I can't say good enough good things. Anyway, he had asked me um, in his old, very kind of diffident <laughs> way, yeah. like, "Hey, uh, you know, would you mind coming out um, to?" Uh, teach at the 82nd uh, Combatives Room once a week. So I was, of course, yeah, that'd be fantastic. And um, so I started going out there, and in fact, I went through the level one and level two uh, MACP, Modern Army Combatives Program, because I actually wanted to see how they taught, um, and which is really great. I, I, I think any jiu-jitsu instructor should probably do it at some point. Um, and you know, it was just my way to really try to contribute and help out um, and it was, it was, and part of it, the reason they brought me out too is kind of my, my thinking on jujitsu. Um, I'm, you know, I compete, but I've never been a sport jujitsu guy. Um, my game is still very old school, you know, fight oriented. When we started Team Rock, the whole conversation of self defense and sport jujitsu didn't exist. It was just jujitsu was, and most of us were coming from different martial arts backgrounds. We were there to learn another fighting art, not to come in and, you know, Win some tournaments, so it was pressure based. It was takedown based. It was on top based, um, and we can talk about that. I definitely want to talk about that a little bit later. But so you know, working with the guys, that's that's my mindset with the military too. Guys, you know, if you are gonna you're gonna clinch fight, you're gonna take down. You're gonna be on top. If you're on your bottom, you're gonna get up. Um, versus hey, you know, I know you're in the army. Here's a, uh, you know, reverse daily heba. <laughs> right. Um, Although I
1: would say Tom Colby has really good de- reverse No, no, and de- no, no. so some of these guys,
0: uh, and some of the guys there actually have very good sport jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have to have the very
2: practical side of it when you think about wearing their battle rattle, their, yeah, they're wearing their flak vests, they have boots on, helmets. They've got weapons, they've
0: got, exactly, you know, primary yeah. secondaries. Um, so do, it's a, a whole different... Do
2: a daily hivo when you have 70 pounds of kit. gear on yep. you, like that uh, goes out the window.
0: Yeah, so it, so it really uh, helped... Focus And sometimes, you know, some people, they go to a school and it's not that focused. But my clientele and my mindset coming up have always been fight-based and, you know, dominate position-based. And so it really helped me even clarify that more. Um, and again, you know, I'm there to teach, to hopefully contribute to these guys' ability to stay safe, not to win tournaments. And, you know, many of them do compete. Mm-hmm. And MMA, you know, of course, uh, Team Rock, Fables is a very strong MMA team and, you know, competition, but that's... The best
2: that's, MMA school in North Carolina. I'd have to, I'd say, have, yeah. I'd have to say, definitely.
0: Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, very good friends with a lot of those guys. Uh, but that's, that's kind of my mindset with doing that and how I got into it. And, uh, you know, any way I can always help those guys, I do. And that segues nicely into another question. You talk about the role of competition, and,
1: like, mm-hmm. jujitsu, jitsu we're all in it for, for different reasons. I mean, right. even if there's, there's a core, you know, if you're in the military and you have a kit, you're worrying about r- clearing a room, it's right. different than someone who's into it for – their own health for their self-defense right. but like so so you have an excellent blog that i would encourage everybody to read that we'll link um on our uh, on, on our facebook page where you write a lot about the proper role of competition right. in jiu-jitsu training and mm-hmm. you're you're not a fundamentalist on either side i don't think there's some guys that say you should never compete there's some guys that say competition competi- is everything right, right. exactly and, and you're, you're in neither of those places so i guess i'd like to hear you sort of explain what you think competition is valuable for what you think the excesses of competition are and what right. how you feel that. That, that plays into it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's, it's kind of funny. Some people do think I'm a self-defense purist, even though I've competed a ton and my guys compete a ton. You um, won the worlds. You're the no world. Right. Um, and so um, I believe your foundation has to absolutely be self-defense. Um, you know, the, the as an instructor, I, I think it's it's almost criminal to give somebody a blue belt. Who can't actually defend against the most common attacks? You know, they they, hmm. they come into class. They're learning barambolas, They learning all that. And they never learn how to deal with a punch. They don't know how to deal with. That goes clinch fighting.
2: all of it, like even boxing. You Absolutely, learn, you learn jabs and slips. Tie boxing, like to start out, you learn right. the to check kicks and but not see, really fire. Like that's I right. Think that should be the core of all martial arts is that self-defense side.
0: Right, but the thing is, a lot of martial arts still have that core. Yeah, and I think a lot of jiu-jitsu schools now skip that core. Mm-hmm. And that's where the that's where the Kind of push back against these schools. I, again, I've met white belts who literally have not a clue how to uh, clinch at all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like yeah. how to do a takedown, how to how to somebody trying to punch, how to get out of a headlock, um, and to say like, well, you know, if you just train long enough, you eventually figure it out. Is is a bit specious. It's like yeah. going well. If you roll long enough, you'll eventually figure out how to mount. So I'm not going to teach you how to escape mount.
2: My good friend Rick Screeton said it best if you have a black belt in anything and I can stuff you in a trash can, then you don't have a black belt. Right, right. (laughs) And that's the. I mean, even you, Jeff Shaw, you still do jits with hits as you like I remember one day you hit me with little gloves. I'm like, oh, look at this little guy. I'm going to throw him on his head now. (laughs) Right, (laughs) this.
0: The angry vegan. (laughs) Right. But. on the other side, of course, um, and I, like I said, I wrote a blog about competing, and it's actually funny because it was actually after a blog I wrote about the importance of self-defense. Mm-hmm. And so the same people who really loved me about the self-defense blog actually didn't like what I wrote about the competition because I was pro-competition. Because do I believe that you should train for competition? No. Like even when I came up and we would compete a lot, we never <laughs> trained with the point of competition because you fight the way you train. And if I'm learning, to, if I'm obviously concerned about winning competitions, I get to throw out 90% of jiu-jitsu. Right. I don't need to do takedowns, probably because, I mean, it's actually a waste of time to burn your energy trying to take a guy down who's just going to pull guard. So I'll just pull guard first. I don't need to learn how to defend punches. I don't need to learn how to defend dumb things, headlocks, you know, things like that, which you no know, will happen in a real fight. So, um, you know, you you focus on a few things and then you just drill the mess out of them until you're really good at it. It doesn't make you a very good fighter. So that said, you know. I would rather my guys lose trying to do a fight style of jiu-jitsu, takedown, dominate, pass, finish, versus pull, stall, advantage. Um, I'd rather them lose that way than win something else. But to the question of competition, absolutely it's important, because two things, especially if you don't compete, and I tell everybody this, no matter how hard you and I roll in the gym, we'll never match how hard you're going to roll, in, a, especially at white belt. Yeah. Right, You want to be, uh, I think Jake said, the closest you're going to get to a real fight, street fight, is a white belt match at a jiu-jitsu. Because <laughs> yeah. right? guys are just going nuts, squeezing each other like crazy, throwing each other all around. Headlocks. And you're going to be more tired in 30 seconds than you are in that 10-minute beast roll you had at the gym. Because um, every grip that guy gets is the hardest grip you can possibly do. Um, and not only that, but... Like if I roll with you, Jeff, I know your game. You know my game. If I roll with you, we kind of know each other's games. Even if we go hard, you're <laughs> you not going to surprise me.
2: If I roll with you and you looked at me, that no, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> but <I'm good. laughs>
0: we, we we one we know we're not out to hurt each other. Right. Yes. We also know that I'm not going to be surprised necessarily by you or vice versa. Right. It's the fear of the unknown. Right. In a safe way, you go to compete. You know, I mean, that guy is going to go as hard as you as he can, probably. You don't know what is he may be the best triangle guy in the world. You don't know it, right? So you don't know what to watch out for. And that's what a real fight's going to be like. You don't know if that guy who's bowed up on you at the club is a phenomenal fighter or if he's just crap. Um, and getting past that fear is one of the biggest uh, important lessons, that mental ability to— to step up to the fear, and if you just train in your gym, you will never have that. That I mean, I you know I competed a lot, and I still get nervous. Right? You go out there, you still have those those flies. To you, tap hands, you tie up, um, and to imagine that like training in the gym, you're going to get that. It's, it's it's not. It's not going to happen.
2: You're, I tell people your training always changes after you've competed. Yes, you have a whole new outlook. Whether it's jujitsu, boxing, yeah. Muay Thai, MMA, your training is totally. You think oh, I do everything right. Then as soon as you compete in anything, oh, I did everything wrong. Now you really start to train after you compete. That's well, the way I, I look
0: no, at it. No, that's exactly right. However, I would correct that on one thing, which is I think a lot of people, they go to compete, and all they do is focus on what they did wrong. But you also get to focus yes. on what you did right. Yes. Right? You then that's So I tell my students, in fact, when you come back, everything you tell me that you did wrong, you have to give me one thing you did right. Mm-hmm. So, it doesn't, so competition doesn't become a negative experience for you. Because otherwise you're like, oh, I win, competed. Even like, even when I won the world, I think I only had two points scored on me, and it bugged the mess <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, just me. yeah, it ate know, at me. I'm like, yeah. I won gold, but it still ate yeah. at me. Um,
2: so nothing, it, nothing drives me to the yeah. wall more than going to tournaments and you mm-hmm. see a coach telling a student, "You did this wrong, you did that wrong." You did exactly. Did I see a lot of the guys like you and Seth and and Billy and Jason? Hey, even though you lost, look at what you did. Great, and then right. you see that guy going, "Cool, I'm going to work on that for my next match." That's in right. 15 minutes, right. you know. And you see that person; their game plan is totally different. And yep. yeah, that's a and good so
0: thing. I think training, and I even think training sport jujitsu, as much as people make is is important because it builds attributes. Like people, the guys who only train self defense, they actually don't build. It's the same way if you only train no gi, you don't build certain attributes. Right. Um, what I mean by that is if you're fighting a guy who's got a great gi and a great daily heave guard okay am i ever gonna have to pass the daily heave guard in a street fight no but what that's going to develop is an amazing base and an amazing ability for me to solve the puzzle of his guard uh which means my mind is thinking i'm working on changing angles i'm working on breaking down his structures um and more importantly i'm i'm you know if you roll with me i'm i i'm not i don't try to ever flatter myself because I, I know where i stand but i think i'm very hard to get off top of you know when I'm on top of you it's very hard for people to get me off there and that's because of training years of jiu-jitsu and against very good sport guys um, and developing that base but but more than anything it comes back to you know I don't think you can ever really say that you practice Gracie jiu-jitsu um, or that you're ready for a real fight unless you've either done an MMA situation or you've competed and you've dealt with that fear of like that guy wants to kill me and I still have to walk out there look him in the eye and I don't know what he's good at. I don't know what he's up to. Even MMA, actually, sometimes you have an idea. Yeah. Right? But if you're doing a tournament, one guy may be a, a wrestler monster. You don't know. One guy may be, you know, a, a footlock expert. You don't know. Um, and you get caught. You know, you learn. But you know, it's it's learning to deal with that fear is the greatest lesson from competition, more than you know, medals or anything like that. And you can't. I, I, can't, I I'm keep reiterating You cannot get that in class. You're listening to the Cage Side
1: Concussion Cast on whupfm.org, going to 4.7 Hillsborough. What you're listening to is why Roy Marsh is one of the most sought-after seminar instructors and private lesson instructors in the area. Um, because of these high conceptual details in addition to the the fine details about what makes a technique work, I want to talk to you a little bit more about your instructional career. Mm-hmm. You just recently returned from a seminar tour of Europe, mm-hmm. and this was your second such tour where you travel around to schools uh, delivering seminars and delivering private lessons. I want to talk to you about that experience and like, two quick questions about mm-hmm. how is that different than when you're teaching at your home academy, and what do you feel is most important to emphasize
0: like, the first time you've been to a school? Um, so... You know, obviously, it's a one-shot kind of thing. And I mean, you'll go back hopefully eventually if you do a good job. Um, the the things I focus on. So when I teach a class, obviously, you're going to teach a program. So you have time. You know, I'm not. I don't have to knock this out. I can develop a whole thing. So when I teach, but even when I teach class, but especially when I teach a seminar, I teach a theme or I teach a flow. Right. So it's going to be one maybe one particular technique or one particular flow of techniques. But what I try to do, and this is, I think. Uh, if I do have one area I'm decent at, is I try to come up with a concept and then base all the techniques around the concept. So I I start off always talking about some ideas because we've all been to the seminars where it's like, okay, guys, here's a technique, here's a technique, here's a technique, here's a technique, see you later. It's just, I could have stayed home and watched YouTube, right? Um, And I I really, in fact, I remember going to a seminar one time and it was both the best and worst seminar I've ever been to because the guy literally just, you can see him just thinking, okay, here's a triangle escape, guys. Okay, come here. here's a sweep. Okay, um, here's a footlock. Uh, it was just random as possible. The only reason it was good was actually a lot of things that I, I liked. So, <laughs> it, uh, But that was just completely happenstance. Um, so I'll come in and I'll work a concept. And then I'll base the seminar around the concept. So, for instance, um, let's say I want to teach sweeps. I'm not going to come in here and go, okay, grab this pant leg, grab this, grab this. Because... That's basically just teaching you, like, teach you a word in a language. You're not gonna be able to speak the language, but just even if I give you a thousand words, you're not gonna be able to speak the language until you understand the structure of what the purpose is. So, I might teach you, like, I did for one of the private lessons. Okay, what is a sweep? That's one thing I'll always ask. What is a guard? What is a sweep? And I, you'll be surprised how many high level guys do that. Mm. Right? it's uh, And they'll show you something. Well, it's this. No, no, no. Tell me what it is. Um, so, like, what is a sweep? Okay, basically, it's going from bo- bottom position, my hips facing up, to top position, my hips facing up. How do I do that? Okay, every sweep is a trip. Okay, how does a trip work? Okay, put a block, and somehow I have to manipulate you over the block. So when people have a problem, there's visible blocks and invisible blocks, and that's a kind of a whole different thing. But so if people have problems with trips, sweeps, how does that work? Well, they probably have a weak block, or they're not blocking everything, or they have weak manipulation over the block. So now let's do a scissor sweep and let's see how those things come into action. Here's our block, here's our method of manipulation. Why is it not working? Oh, you're not getting the right pull or you're not getting the right push for the manipulation. But he keeps coming back to that concept so even if they forget later the technique and they're stuck somewhere, they don't go, well, he said get this grip, this grip, that grip. Oh, wait, okay. He can put his hand there so I don't have everything blocked or I'm not be able to push him over the block. Maybe if I change my angle, I can push him better over the block. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. Absolutely. And so that's that's what I try to do at every seminar. And I actually got that, you know, from a guy who, you know, I probably quote every single class is Archer? Dave Camarillo. Oh. Archer yeah. as okay. well. <laughs> yeah. Basically the same thing. Same <laughs> thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was... Fir- way too serious for a yeah. second, so. He was one of the first guys that really came in and taught me a conceptual lesson and just blew my mind. You know, just like, first time he said, you know, well, what is side control? What do you mean? It's this. No, no. What is, what is it we're trying to accomplish? And so every time I teach or I try to think about jujitsu, I try to ask myself these fundamental questions, and if I can't answer it, like then I'm, I don't really know what I'm doing then until I can start answering these things. What is a pass? What is a... Fun? Yeah. So
1: you mentioned Dave Camarillo, right. and I'm going to list some amazing black belts and some attributes they have. So Dave Camarillo loves Star Wars. Right. Vicente Jr., Love Superman Man. comics. Yep. You have a lantern power ring. Yes. That's amazing. What is it about nerds that makes us love jujitsu, or like what draws us to jujitsu? What why do nerds like
0: jujitsu? Um, one I think to tick off uh, bullies. No. Um, <laughs> No. That, that's
2: across all like I'm you know me I'm a kickboxer Muay Thai yeah, guy and yeah. my favorite thing to do in my free time is play Pokemon Right. like Ronda Rousey will play Pokemon yep. and like I mean it's, it's no, a it's, certain nerd habit yeah you, it is <laughs> here's the thing what is, what is
0: a nerd okay a nerd is someone who's just passionate about something right. regardless of whether it's popular what is it to be cool to be cool is to be disinterested and to pretend you don't care about anything right well you can't be good at martial arts unless you care about it yes. like you can't be just sort of Passively, like, yeah, you know, whatever. You got to be in there, and you get, and especially martial arts that are combative arts that become technical, right? You got to spend all your time on like watching tape and getting into this really involved sort of thing. Um, and then when you find other people who are into it with you, you're like, oh, nerd brother, <laughs> right? Um, I think that's a big part of it, it's just the purely the passion situation. Um, and I think it also comes down to, I mean, a lot of nerds, like, bullied as kids or at least not popular as kids and like, you know, we watched our Star Wars and then we watched our Kung Fu. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so you're thinking about, man, if I learn this martial art, you know, maybe I won't be bullied anymore. Maybe I'll have the superpower and then you grow up and you realize, eh, you don't really have superpower. And then you actually, you know, then eh, you learn Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu go, Well no, I actually I do have super do have, have, have super superpower. Else, yeah. Right. And so,
2: I've but noticed, like the the people that do it, like everyone, like their uh, their, their ideologies about that martial art carries over from that person they'll follow. Like yep. you, like hearing you talk, I'm like, all right, that's why you like Green Lantern. Like that, yep. everything is based off of just like the guy really has no physical prowess; he just has his imagination right. that he has to live off of and his and how creative he is, and, right. and how he breaks stuff down. And I'm like, listen to you, I'm like, he would, he would like Green Lantern. <laughs> yeah. I get this. I understand that. I and hadn't even thought of that. So, yeah, I guess that's good no. Oh, like- man, look at that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Very important question. Deep thought. Which Green Lantern? Oh, yes, wait. <laughs> Hal Jordan? Hal Jordan. Hal okay. Jordan. Okay. Yeah. okay good. I'm, 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 yeah. I gotta admit, I'm a John Stewart slash Guy Gardner guy. Uh-oh. You're Guy. G- How are you, okay. Guy Gardner no, guy? Right. I'm off the show.
2: Goodbye. Because yeah.
1: I'm a sucker for a redemption story. Oh, okay. I'm a sucker for that's a, a pretty redemption. big redemption story. Yeah. yeah. No. And yeah. 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 So uh, yeah. Um, so like we're we're getting close to the close of the interview, but I want to yeah. I, I want to ask. Uh, one like one question that was really important for me to ask. So you have you mentioned some of the other arts you've practiced. You right. you've practiced a little bit of judo, wrestling, uh, muay thai. You have black belts in several other arts, in hapkido, for example. Right. Once once you made an analogy to me that learning other martial arts is like travel. How right. is learning other martial arts like travel?
0: Um. I think one of the problems with a lot of martial artists sometimes they 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 become um, purists in the sense of my martial art is is the best, right? And that's that's a ridiculous statement. I hate hearing that, I hate that. So because much. one, it, it assumes that all outcomes are equal, right? Like it's best for what? Well, like if I need to fight to the death, guess what? Probably knife fighting is the best style. I'm there is. Like going to do kali or a scream. Right. I need to worry about not going to jail. That's definitely a bad art to learn. Right. Um, if I need to learn just to defend myself, I think Gracie Jiu is phenomenal. If I need to learn to go out back and just beat the part of this guy, then Muay Thai is a very good art. But the outcome changes. So I think when you hear people say, Oh, Aikido is useless or this is useless, that that's ridiculous because they're not taking into account useless for what? Um But when you train other martial arts, um I think too and this is a problem with MMA, uh guys train different arts at MMA, they, they go, I'm going to become a great MMA fighter, so I'm going to go to uh, his MMA or his Muay Thai class, I'm going to learn a you know, the teep and the round kick and the Thai clinch. Now I know him, Muay Thai. I do Jiu-Jitsu, I'm going to learn triangle and arm bar, and I know Jiu-Jitsu. Well, you don't know the arts. You only know a couple techniques yes. from them. Yeah. And so, but even if you never learn the techniques, it's the mindset mm-hmm. that is the most important thing, and the other attributes that you learn. So, for instance, if I teach, you know what I learned most from uh, Muay Thai and boxing? Was angles and range, mm-hmm, exactly. not techniques. The techniques were definitely there, but and that came back to applying to my jujitsu. Was learning because jujitsu guys are ho- most jujitsu guys, especially ones who don't do like self defense oriented, they have horrible range control. Right? They 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 just don't understand that concept. Cause it's, not like, it's like it's
2: like someone could be a good wrestler in MMA, but if they don't understand that that two or three feet of the arm length between you and I, right. they don't understand that entry. Their right. wrestling kind of goes out the window. Or like the ju- jiu-jitsu guys that can't right. enter in an mma fight they don't understand that how do i enter in here wait now my jiu-jitsu's right out the window and you've seen it happen uh brandon thatch and the guy in brazil he knocked out a black belt i remember because he just right. kept trying to rush in and right. need to the liver but that's right. like one of those i never say muay thai is better than jiu-jitsu i tell people jiu-jitsu has will save your life in more ways than muay thai and self-defense but it's, just, it's that little it's closing right. the gaps between the martial arts
1: and so, guys, we, we, we're we closing up on any of the show. We have about three minutes left. So we're gonna, we are gonna usually do a segment called The Parting Shot, which we're going to skip this week, simply because I was so fascinated listening to Roy's answers. I know that, uh, so Roy Marsh is a tremendous black belt, one of the best instructors that I've worked with, well sought out for seminars. His website is com. I know Roy has a couple of people that he would like to thank and shout out uh, before we uh, before we get on out of here. So I want to say thanks to Roy for the interview and give Roy the chance to do
0: that. I really only want to uh, thank Trevor and Jeff. Uh, I've done it all by myself. No, um, uh, no seriously. like <laughs> Don't leave out Dale Hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, uh, the, the first two, honestly, that I would really like to thank uh, is uh, Jason Colbreth, who uh, is probably, in a lot of ways, my main instructor over the years, taught me a tremendous amount, and uh, your own instructor, Seth Shamp. Uh, I consider pr- pretty much my closest brother in the jiu-jitsu community, and I'm one of my instructors, and I've learned a ton from, and uh, really inspires me um you you know um greg thompson spencer uh all the original team rock people that really taught me um i think it's really important to give credit a lot of instru- a lot of people it seems sometimes now they act like they did it themselves um boomer of cage side uh is uh, i can't overstate his importance in the jiu-jitsu community in north carolina um, and he's done a ton for me my students uh, for letting me figure out how to be a good instructor over all these years. Um, that's a big, big part of me, uh, learning my technique and my, learning how to teach. Um, and then just all the old school guys that came up beating me up, baseball and Tracy Sheriff and all those guys, um, and Jack Jitsu. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and and of course- uh, One of these days actually, I'll find out Jack's last name. <laughs> yeah, no <know> you won't. <laughs> No you won't. <laughs> I, I actually know what you can't pronounce it. Uh, it's no, like no, it 90 keeps, letters long. Yeah, and then uh, my good buddy Jeff Shaw actually uh, I've known since you actually came to my first seminar, didn't you? That's how we met.
1: Yeah, I still use techniques from that seminar. Cool. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Roy Marsh is one of the people that's taught me the most about jujitsu. I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did. Trevor, do you have an ad?
2: I really hope this is like Roy Marsh interview part one, Absolutely. so we can get you back on here.
1: We That'd be a lot and power is just not enough for some of the people we have on here. It's so true. It's so true. We would love to have this just be the part one of the Roy Marsh interview. But folks, um, I'm super stoked that you joined us. Uh, follow us. On, uh, thanks to Roy Marsh for being here. Thanks All to my right. co-host Trevor, as always. Want to follow us on, on Twitter and Instagram at Kside uh, Please join us next week, when our guest will be.
2: Chris Clodfelter, the man I go to for my Muay Thai and hair care. So, for That's any, nice for all Sweet things, hair,
1: right? For all things face punching, body kicking, and hair sculpting. Oh, and
2: which uh, you were talking about seminars earlier, uh, my good friend Chris Clodfelter will be at Forge Fitness of Cary uh, this Saturday, the 14th from 12 to 2.
1: So, go and check that out, guys. Once again, thanks to Roy, thanks to Trevor, thanks to all of you for listening in. Can I have and, one thing? Sorry. Yeah, please.
0: Uh, quickly, uh, Ross Hudson and Andre Gunnell in uh, Europe, they both uh, helped me out on my tours
1: thanks to Ross and, uh, and Andre we'll get at you uh, later and and uh, and, and, we'll, and we'll have Roy back when he can thank you in detail but for now we're going to let tune and the real law play us out thanks again for joining us guys.
0: Hillsboro.